I always thoroughly enjoy the music ministry at, almost said Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle. I thoroughly enjoy that too, but um, Falls Baptist. And I know a little bit of what Brother Visser spoke about today. I actually had a message on that same subject I was thinking of preaching. And for whatever reason, I set it aside and determined that wasn't what the Lord wanted me to do. Not for tonight, but not for this week either. But I do believe God has some exceptional things for us. I'm actually quite excited about the message tonight. I have no idea if you'll be excited after you hear it. But um, the root of the message I'm preaching tonight changed my life forever years ago. It's not technically what I'm preaching about, but the foundation of the thought changed me. And I want to read what Paul said to the Corinthians, for ye see your calling brethren, how that not many mighty, or not many wise, men after the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. As I was getting ready to come here yesterday, I was eating lunch, and the radio was on, and there's a guy that interviews people that we kind of like to listen to when he was interviewing. At the end of his program, a 15-year-old, one of the latest, brightest, And I couldn't even understand what they were talking about in technical terms, but she has accomplished something amazing that has impacted the whole world. And they asked her what she was envisioning she would do next, and she said, I'm going to find a solution to spare the world from the next pandemic. And she believed it. In light of the things that she was talking about that I didn't understand, I thought she possibly could do it. I only begin the message that way this evening because I wish with all my heart I could find words to communicate to all of us, but especially the college students that are here and the young people, how amazing God is. And because he's amazing, he can take the least likely and do the most significant things. I felt of necessity. I needed to visit my mother today. I'm so appreciative of my sister who has now taken her into her home. She had a pretty bad night last night. I called her and talked to her yesterday. And she, quite honestly, five minutes if I called her back, she wouldn't remember that I called. But when I tell her I'm coming to see her, she remembers. And it gets her agitated. And I've thought about it, my sister's probably listening right now, but I've thought about it, and one of the, the recurring themes is that she gets frustrated because she cannot get to the grocery store and she cannot get something out of the freezer and she cannot get to her home 
and prepare a meal. My mother probably had no significant defining moment in her life. And I think there's so many that go into ministry that are waiting for that significant opportunity. The day that God calls me to be the pastor of a church with a thousand members. And then I'll do something. But I want us to get it this evening. Our life is not defined so much by the goals we achieve as by the decisions we make along the way. My mother was the hospitality coordinator in our church for years. Hosted dozens of evangelists, missionaries, preachers, college groups. And I sat at the table shy and backward, inside out and upside down, but I was impacted by people that sat at our table. One of those that I remember especially was Peter Slobodian. And I remember the day that we were sitting in our formal dining room and I was across the table from him and he was talking to me. And I was pretty young and his dark brown beady eyes looked straight at me and he said, David, God is so good. Never forgotten it. And I'm saying to us tonight that many of us may wait for some situation where we make our mark in the world and we do something significant. We become that famous or infamous missionary. But what are you doing today? How are you walking today? What promises are you claiming? How does your life characterize those moments? I'm going to begin in Proverbs chapter 13, though the message is going to be in Genesis. Some things have changed and some things have changed significantly in our ministries, in our culture, in our nation, in our politics, in our world. In the last 10 months, things have happened that we never could have anticipated last year at this time. And I'm standing before you honestly saying that I grieve at what has happened in our nation and what has happened to many of our ministries. What I'm telling you in the next few minutes is not to brag, it's just the reality of where we were. Our church last January and February was experiencing numerous guests every week. Our church was filled with a vibrant membership of people that came with a bustle of anticipation week after week. We were doing Bible studies with 110 inmates in the local jail every week. We had at times over 100 at RU on Friday nights with the average being about 75. And we would notice as many as 50 guests in church on Sunday morning as a result of those that came Friday night, their families, their friends. Last week, I think we had six or eight. 
maybe 25 in RU. No Bible studies in the jail. We saw our church, as I said last night, go from that bustle of anticipation to a sense of uncertainty and fear and the numbers diminished quickly. We had tickets to fly to Lebanon with Jesse Von Berg and a young man from our ministry that's going to the Arabic-speaking people. We already had our tickets purchased to go and survey the possibility of starting a Christian school in Lebanon among the refugees. Tickets got canceled. The money was refunded. Haven't gotten there yet. And I am saying these things grieve me. We have a young lady in our church that was going on a regular basis, sometimes numerous times every year on medical missions trips, self-supporting herself. So well respected in the medical community where she lives that she could go on a mission trip for as much as six months and come back and walk in and take her job right back again. We support her, but she gets no support from other churches. She doesn't need it. And she's the happiest when she's in the deepest, darkest parts of the jungle on the edge of civilization. Seeing dozens of people saved every trip, churches have literally sprung up where she's been. She hasn't been on a trip since 2019. I hope you understand what I'm saying. These things grieve me. I didn't sit still and I didn't sit there without some sense of anticipation of what God was doing, what he could do. But I missed what had been. I teach through the book of Proverbs to our juniors and seniors every other year. And there are some verses in Proverbs that are just absolutely dynamic. My son shared this one with the staff here a few weeks ago. Proverbs 13, 23. As I came across this verse teaching our high school students, I was so charged up. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. But there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. Would you read that verse with me? It's Proverbs 13, 23. Together. Much tillage, I'm sorry, much food is in the tillage of the poor. But there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. Not going to belabor the voice verse. I'm not preaching on it. But the point is, many people are poor because they don't see the opportunity where they are. They don't have the discernment to work the soil that God has given them. I don't understand Hebrew well enough, and some of you here that are Hebrew scholars, I want you to talk to me about this verse, but there's something that implies mountaintop in one of the words of this verse. But maybe the obscure place, maybe the least likely place, maybe the place that would not be presumed to be fruitful. God says there's much food there if the soil would get worked and I looked at that verse from the perspective of me and us and our churches being the poor 
Not because we're not rich in Christ, but because we have been thrown a curve. And we're not quite sure what to do. And while I was grieving the loss of those many that were attending the addiction recovery ministry and the many new people every week, new people coming to church, some of them because of that addiction recovery ministry and focusing on them and getting to know their names and connecting people with them and seeing them saved and getting people connected to disciple them, focusing on it. I had missed, I had missed, I had missed, I was aware of it, but I had missed the responsibility to work with the others that God had brought to us. They were stable people. They were employed people. Some of them were community leaders. Significant people. And it's just easy to assume that they're okay. But I sat in a deacon's meeting in November and I said, men, we've got to look at this verse and we've got to make it our vision for the coming year. There is much food in the tillage of the poor. And we need to look around us and we need to look in our ministry and we need to look at what God has presently given us both in our church and in the ministries of the church and in our Christian school and understand that we have literally dozens of people that we can reach and get connected into the ministry and get them more involved than they are. They're here, but they're not doing what they could be doing. We need to train them. We need to prepare them. We need to help them get connected and get involved. I'm just going to throw something out there, and this is really the pastor's job, and if he wants to grab me by the neck and pull me back, he can. But I would just assume that a lot of you were awful busy around Christmas time because your pastor understood there's much food in the tillage of the poor. It was decided long before December that you wouldn't be able to do what you normally do at Christmas time. And so a, an idea was generated and a vision was set and excitement ensued and people got involved. But I just wonder if there's some in the church and especially where you have a college and you have that natural tendency to assume that they're young and they're energetic and they don't have anything to do. I mean, all they're doing is going to college and, and so they, they certainly can do the work. And I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm wondering if there's some people in the church that are here and you're stable and you have experience, but you've not engaged in the work that God has given you. You've not looked at where you are and understood what you could be doing, the people you could be reaching, the lives you could be impacting. And college students, as busy as you think you are, marriage is not the answer. Kids are born and then all of a sudden you find out what it's like to go without sleep and have to function on somebody else's terms and not just your own. It doesn't get any less busy if you're serious about God. But the verse ends with a warning and it says that we need to be understand that there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. About 3,700 churches close in America every year. I thought it might be more than that. But it's tragic and I wonder why. 
I wonder if it's possible that they didn't look at their community. I wonder if it's possible they didn't connect with the people that were in the church. I wonder if it's possible they didn't figure out a way to work the soil where they are. I wonder if it's possible they even had a pastor that was looking across town or looking across the state and seeing some other ministry and thinking, I sure wish I was in that field. Everybody wants to get saved in that community. Nobody wants to hear the gospel where I am. And I'm saying that God will never use us as much as he could use us until we get connected where we are today. Not waiting for the tomorrows, but today seeing what God has given us, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to say, where he wants us to go, how he wants us to respond. And so I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 13. A passage that in a very unique way changed my life, a very specific way. I love this story. You're familiar with it. Abraham has just separated from Lot because the herdsmen were not getting along. There was strife. Remember at this point in the story, we do not know what Lot's tendency is going to be. We are told that they did separate and we are told that um, Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom so we can see that look, that direction. But in verse 14, the Lord said unto Abraham, Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I am pleading with us tonight as college students and members of this church to lift up our eyes, to look around us, to see what we haven't seen for a while. To understand that God placed us where we are for a purpose, for a reason. And he has a desire to use us where we are. As I've said, we too often wait for some great sensational opportunity to define us. But get the statement, our lives are not just defined by the goals we achieve, but what we accomplish on the way to those goals. Pay attention closely for a minute. Why did Noah build an ark? Because he was just perfect and walked, took steps day by day with God every day in the midst of a world that did only evil continually. Why did David kill Goliath? Because he had the sense to obey his daddy. I'm telling you, it's that simple. And he also was excited about God's work. When he got to the battlefield, he cheered for the battle. I don't know why, but that just gets me excited. He goes there to see his brothers. He leaves his carriage with an attendant. And next thing you know, he's jumping up and down and shouting. And I doubt that he's saying, go Israel, go Israel. I mean, he got into it. Then he killed Goliath. 
Joseph saved much people alive because he chose to honor God in the daily adversities of life. Ruth chose to follow Naomi, and then it was given to her handfuls of purpose. Esther followed the ongoing advice of Mordecai long before she was the instrument to deliver her people from the wicked plot of Haman. Ezra chose to prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself long before he survived the lion's den and distinguished himself in Babylon. And in our story, Abraham's already left Ur of the Chaldees. Now it seems that God has him exactly where he wants to, to have him and speaks to him and gives him renewed hope of the promise that he gave him back in Genesis chapter 12. He says, now I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to see what is before you. Obviously, there's other people that define themselves by choices they made as well. What do we remember Samson for? A lot of bad choices along the way. We remember him as a man who begged God to use him one final time to avenge him of his enemies. With his eyes blind and himself bound. Pathetic picture of a disobedient servant that longs just one time for God to use him. Saul could have been a great king in Israel but made poor choices on his journey. Achan could have been one of the great warriors of Israel, but on the journey he saw, he desired, he took. And he died. I think Genesis 13 is a practical illustration of Proverbs 13, 23. Let's ask God to help us as we look at some basic facts in that passage. Father, speak to our hearts. We don't need to hear my thoughts, but Lord, we desire that your spirit would speak to us through your word, through the story that you recorded and preserved for us as an example that we might learn. I pray that we'd be teachable and that we'd be responsive in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, that this story takes place after a significant change that could not be avoided. So it speaks to me in light of our current situation in our nation, in our churches. We didn't choose some of the things that have happened in the last 10 months, but God has allowed them. And therefore, I sense that God wants to come to our churches and say to us personally and individually and very specifically, lift up your eyes now. Now. But wait a minute, Lot just got the best. Don't you feel like sometimes the world rips from us all the possibilities? Doesn't it seem like Satan's sometimes one step ahead of us? But God is never fooled. God is never displaced from his throne, never, never is God devoid of his power. And if he comes and speaks to us through his word and says, lift up your eyes now, 
from the place where you are. I think we ought to do it. There was a change that couldn't be avoided. Secondly, there was a command that had to be obeyed. Abraham is told by God in this specific moment, in this specific moment, lift up now thine eyes. Do we only see what is or do we see all the possibilities of what could be? It's after Lot's lifted up his eyes. It's after he's taken the well-watered, fertile plain, the soil. But God knew there was still plenty for his people, for his servant to fulfill, get it, his promise. God's promises don't become null and void because of the circumstances of life. In fact, as I like to envision it and describe it to our people, there's many times that God likes to set a stage before us with all the ugliness of the world and we sit there and we tend to focus on what's on stage, don't we? That's what the purpose of a stage is. And God sets the stage with impossibilities and sets before us and in our minds improbabilities. And when we come to the realization that without God we are helpless, he says, okay, now watch. Now you just watch and see what I'm going to do. And so as I look at this directive of God, this command that God has given, this invitation, I notice that the command was specific in time and place. Lift up now thine eyes from the place. Now I apply this first of all to our ministries. Challenging our people, I've been preaching on that they're probably tired of hearing of it. But God has put us in a place for a reason as a church. God's put us in a community for a church. God's put us in a county and in a state as a church. And I'm amazed as you look at the scripture that churches significantly impacted regions. Read about the church of Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul said, from you sounded out Macedonia, Achaia, and all the regions around so that I don't even need to speak about Christ. He said to the Romans, you've impacted the whole world. He said it at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book. And I'm saying to you, be encouraged. God has allowed this ministry to impact not just this community, not just this area, not just this neighborhood, but the world. And I'm saying if there's anything that should get Christians excited and fired up, it is to know that God has used our ministry to impact the world. But he's not done. Because when he's done, we're not going to be here. And he wasn't done with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Lot's gone, I'm talking to you, this is specifically for you, lift up now, specific to the time, from the place where you are. But I want to challenge you individually as well. Churches will grow if a pastor has a vision and his staff gets on board with him. 
But churches will explode if members get a hold of the same concept in your Sunday school class, in your neighborhood, at your place of employment, in the midst of the bus ministry, in the midst of the children's work, in the midst of whatever it is that God has given you to do in this ministry and in this community and in your daily responsibility. If you lift up your eyes now from the place where you are, you're at a place where nobody else is. I'm saying that we as pastors can look with longing at other places and get discontent with the place where God has put us and we as individuals can look with longing at other places and be discontent with what God has put us in the church. Well, if I were just a Sunday school teacher, if I had the personality, if I had more students, you see, folks, one person walks into their Sunday school class in the morning and they see six, eight, ten children. Another person walks into the Sunday school class and they see six, eight, ten children who have 20 parents, moms and dads, and grandpas and grandmas, and aunts and uncles and relatives and friends and all of a sudden your heart is stirred from the place where you are and you think there's a tremendous field to be worked here in my Sunday school class. I need to stop coming and just sitting here and teaching my lesson as good as I am at it. I need to see beyond that and understand that these children represent lives all around me that can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same with the bus ministry. I'm not going to go through it all, but it doesn't matter what it is. It's the same thing at work. The same place and thing in our neighborhoods and with some of you with your families. God has placed you where nobody else is. And you need to get excited about it. Regardless of the circumstances of our culture right now. And understand there's soil to be worked. Some of the most unlikely places have some of the greatest potential. God said, not me, that there's much food in the tillage of the poor. I want you to notice also in reference to this invitation, this command that's to be obeyed, that it's a command that was personal. He said to Abraham, lift up now thine eyes from the place where thou art. Of course, the corporate mission of the church should be owned by the membership of the church. We ought to be supportive. We ought to be excited. We ought to find ways to get involved. We ought not let somebody else do it. We ought to find a way to get ourselves personally engaged, whether we're invited or not. Find a way to volunteer. Find a way to figure out what's going on. Find a way where you can use your talent and your ability. God has appointed members in the church specifically, severally, as he will gifting you to do what he wants you to do. So lift up your eyes from where you are. That's the challenge I've given to our people in our bus ministry, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our young adults ministry, our Sunday school classes, the RU ministry. Head of our bus ministry wanted to meet with me desperately last Sunday and I wasn't able to, but I said, we'll get together. We got together Friday. What did he want to talk to me about? He said, I've got a six month plan for the bus ministry. I can live with that. 
It is good to communicate with somebody what you're thinking. Because I also had somebody that had bingo planned for our RU ministry Friday night. Didn't see the potential possible problems with that. And didn't ask. We got it stopped before it happened. But I'm just saying there is a responsibility to look to authority. It's not because we want to control everything, but sometimes we know possible problems that you don't think of in your zeal and your excitement. I appointed the young adult Sunday school class to a young couple in our church. I don't remember how long ago it was. It seems like it was just a couple of years ago. It could have been more than that, but they had four in class, sometimes only two. On occasion, eight if everybody came. But he lifted up his eyes. He saw the potential. I shared with him my vision. He owned it as his own. Now they have between 20 and 25 regularly with 30 on the rolls that are actively coming. They had an activity a little while ago. 56 were there. You listen to me. God has much food in the tillage of the soil, in the tillage of the poor. If we can just get a hold of the promise he's given us. Abraham didn't allow Lot's choice to hinder his obedience. Abraham didn't allow Lot's choice to discourage him from the possibilities. Sometimes we ignore the voice of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we're sure that somebody else is better suited. But God's saying, lift up your eyes from where you are. The command was specific. Now, where you are. Thou, thine, the command was eye-opening. There's got to be a better word than eye-opening, but I thought about it quite a while, and my mother didn't help me much. And so I just had to come up with that, the potential. The potential, and this is what I'm saying to you. I'm saying to you college students, if you could understand the potential. We get focused one direction. We get focused where we're comfortable. We get focused on what we're good at. We get focused where we have experience. But God said to Abraham, I want you to look north. I want you to look south. I want you to look east. I want you to look west. Should have gone north, south. Well, never mind. It was eye-opening. It's possible that Abraham had his gaze fixed on what Lot already had taken and was thinking, boy, I wish I could have that. But wait, there's other, three other directions in the compass. We can get so consumed with one aspect that we forget all that's around us and the possibilities are endless. I do have a personality that tends to see what is not, and I know I've shared that with you before, and I'm just telling you God is helping me with that. I'm actually amazed at sometimes the ideas I come up with. <laughs> Probably not me. Because it's not my natural tendency to see possibilities. My tendency is to see impossibilities. I'm just saying this command 
was given to help Abraham see the unbelievable potential of his posterity. Now we just got to step back for a minute and recognize and remember and remind ourselves This is all based on God's promise that he's going to make him a great nation like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the sea. And Abraham's sitting there without any children. And this one truth, and I won't take much time on it, is what changed my life. I saw myself, and I know I've shared this with you before, as a person that probably wouldn't do much for God. Backward, shy, awkward. Lousy speaker. No personality. Looking across town at a church that was exploding, looking at other youth groups that were growing, and at the time I was a youth pastor. I thought, what am I ever going to do for God? And God used this passage and this concept to help me understand that if I would focus myself on what God wants me to do, and if I would get one godly teenager to live for God the rest of their life, I could change the world. And I've never turned back. I believe it. And by God's grace, it's not been just one. It's been two or three or four, five and six and seven and eight. Now we have a screen in the lobby of our church that shows those that have gone out of our ministry that are in full-time Christian service. I'm telling you, it's not this preacher. It's God who said, look north, south, east, and west. And I will give you a posterity that will impact the world. Well... We see that this came after a change. We see that a command was given to obey. But there was a promise to be embraced in verses 15 through 17. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Can you imagine Abraham listening to God and saying, what are you talking about? At the Victory Conference, I'm going to be preaching on this aspect, so I'm not going to talk about it here, but Romans chapter 4, communicating Abraham and Sarah's faith is so absolutely amazing. Being fully persuaded. And that's what I long for this message to accomplish in your hearts, being fully persuaded. We can talk about things. And college students are impressionable, and I'm not talking down to you, but I understand. I've been there. I've been in the dorms, and I remember the talk and how we're going to go out and change the world. And it's more a fanciful idea than an absolute convincement. We say words to impress others more than words that have embraced and are strangling our own heart as though we can hardly breathe in anticipation of what God's going to do. And I know the difference. And I've done both. I've said things that sounded good and were biblically correct, and I've said things that I'm totally convinced of. 
And a time came in Abraham's life when he was fully convinced of this promise that God had given. And God gives it a second time, verse 17. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. I can imagine there's times that Abraham was tired. I suppose he had some long days. I can imagine Abraham and Sarah sitting down and eating that evening meal, finally a chance to relax. relax. And Sarah probably said to Abraham, hey, why don't we just relax a minute? Watch a little bit of Jeopardy. <laughs> Abraham said, you know what, that sounds really good. And then his face got sober. And he said, you know, I wonder if we would be better served if we just walk a little bit more. There's times when Abraham was weary and all that he was doing. And he said to his wife, Sarah, would you come and sit by the river with me? And we'll throw in a line and see if we can catch some trout. Sarah said, man, I enjoy that. I love being outdoors, hearing the birds and the brook ripple. Then she looked at Abraham and said, do you think maybe we should just walk? Now I'm making a point for all of us, including myself. We waste more time than we're conscious of. I'm not opposed to fishing. I'm not opposed to hunting. I'm not opposed to relaxing. But I'm telling you, God has given us a promise and he wants us to conquer the world. We're sitting around twiddling our thumbs, wasting our time, playing our video games. Checking out the latest and the greatest on some internet site. Giving our input on a blog that makes no sense at all anyway. Catching up with our social media friends with no spiritual intent at all. I am saying maybe we should just walk a little bit more. And so walk he did. The promise was clear, the purpose was clear, and the potential was clear. Go every direction. Claim the land. And technically, God didn't just say where your feet touch, but what you see. Abraham's walking, he's looking over there, and he's seeing barrenness, he's seeing fruitfulness over here. Walking and envisioning what it might be like someday when God allows cities to be established to his posterity. But Hebrews 11 tells us he died only in hope, never realizing the promise. But God was faithful. I'm begging us to see the potential not for a physical seed, but the potential of a spiritual seed. Spoken of, for example, in Revelation 7, 9, where we're told that the eternal family of God will be multitudes redeemed of all nations and kindreds and tribes and people and tongues. I'm telling you folks, that's our job. It's our job to understand that as we anticipate the posterity, the fruit that God's going to give us, it's going to be worldwide.
Nations are going to be reached. Regions are going to be evangelized. It's interesting. I'm not going to preach on it tonight. Then Abraham removed, verse 18, his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Almost looks like he disobeyed. I don't think so. I don't think so, but I think we need to understand something and keep it clear in our mind. There must be a purposed focus. College students, the mission can become our God. You take it from somebody who's been there. The mission can become our God. You see, the mission was a, something that God had set before him. It was long term. It wasn't going to happen all at once, but building the altar was an ongoing necessity. We've got to understand that we can't let the mission keep us from our focus on God. Walk through the land, yes, but in fellowship with, in communion with God, constantly exalting him, lifting him up, building many altars along the way where God will remind us of significant things that he has done in our lives. Thomas Edison said many an opportunity is missed because it comes dressed in overhauls and looks a whole lot like work. I want to be careful. Don't reduce the vision and the mission God gives you to rolling up your sleeves and trying harder. But I'll guarantee you, if you're serving God, there's going to be work. It's going to be inconvenient. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be a need to set aside the less important for that which God has given you. There's going to be the requirement of being under, misunderstood at times. And I'm going to say uh, there is going to be a lot of work in the work of God. It just goes a whole lot better when the Spirit of God is in charge. The impala is a small deer-like animal that can jump 15 feet high. Well, you get the idea. It's like they've got springs in their legs. And in jumping 15 feet high, they can span a distance of 30 feet. And yet they're kept in captivity by a wall three feet high, made out of stone, block, or concrete. Because the impala will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will land. I'm telling you, the devil's got us in captivity. We got to have it figured out too many times. I understand there's a principle of counting the cost. But that's different than cowering because of the unknown. I believe there's people here tonight that need to come before God and say, you know what? 
I've got to get on board with God's vision. I've got to get a hold of this idea that God wants me to go north, south, east, and west. Lift up my eyes. See the possibilities right now. Stop bemoaning what has happened. Stop bemoaning where our nation is. The gospel is the only answer anyway. Stop spending all your time following lines and conversations and discussions about this possibility or that possibility of what's happened and get busy for God. Time is likely short. The task is great. In God's choice. <laughs> the words that come to my mind are not appropriate. Dingbats, idiots. Simpletons like us. Just people. Look at his disciples, just people. But they impacted the world. That the power may be of God and not of us. <laughs> 